0: Now I have partnered up with therapist Jane McClellan who is a two-time terminal cancer survivor and I offer you the How to Starve Cancer online course with lifetime access. Simple strategies to starve your cancer without starving yourself. This easy to follow course has been designed to make Jane McClellan's book How to Starve Cancer visually more explanatory and it makes the science simple so that you can personalize your approach to achieve optimal results to stop your cancer from growing. Now, this course will elevate your understanding of cancer metabolism so that you can be confident that you are adding the right therapies and supplements. The How to Starve Cancer course will teach you the entire picture. How cancer starts, what drives it, how it feeds, and how it progresses. Gets you back in the driver's seat and gives you the best chance to win the battle. So go to drwardbond.com and get the program today. Our guest today is a rising actor and talented musician, Jet Juergensmeyer, who is excited to announce the release of his latest single, Falling Two. Now, Falling Two showcases his growth as an artist and his ability to captivate audiences with his heartfelt vocals. Now, with his unique blend of country and pop, Jet has created a distinct style that resonates with listeners. His previous releases, including Everything Will Be All Right, Fast Forward, Compassion, and Talk to God have garnered widespread acclaim and further establishing him as a versatile recording artist. Now, beyond the music industry, he has made a name for himself as an award-nominated actor, delivering remarkable performances in both comedic and dramatic roles. And in addition to his thriving acting career, Jet has, has accumulated a very impressive list of film and television credits, which we'll get to here in a moment. So without further ado, let's welcome multi-talented actor and recording artist, Jed Jurgensmeyer, to the show. Welcome, Jed. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Well, I'll tell you what, which came first for you, music or acting?
1: Uh, both kind of came at the same time. I always make the joke, when you're from Nashville, you're going to be involved in entertainment in some way, shape, or form, whether you're the guy behind the mixing board or the guy in front of the camera. Uh, so I started out on stage when I was three, my parents owned a bar in Nashville and I would get up on stage and sing and tell jokes and kind of fell in love with entertainment. Uh, and then just about a year later, when I was four, I started acting here in Nashville and about a year after that started going to California at the age of five. And here we are all these years later, still, still going strong.
0: Well, you know, it's funny because, um, so how long have you been in acting then?
1: Uh, I mean, in November, I will be 19, so
0: that'll be 15 years. Wow, because your resume is longer than most seasoned actors. So, um... Thank you. So, you must have a, a great agent. Now, now, ladies and gentlemen, you gotta you got really listen to this, because his list of film credits is impressive. I mean, roles in Cupid's Proxy, Hey Arnold... How many of us love Hey Arnold? Then there was the Jungle movie. There's Ferdinand. There's American Sniper. And how many of, I mean, all of us saw American Sniper. Then he's got appearances. I've watched
1: that movie like five times just by myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, that was, um, was that Chris Pratt?
1: No, that was, uh, that was Bradley Cooper.
0: Bradley Um, Cooper which which is so
1: funny because while I was on set that day because it's like one of the smallest roles I've done but it was so much fun it was a one-day shoot I checked off Bradley Cooper and Clint Eastwood on the same day uh I was playing cornhole with Bradley Cooper in between takes I didn't even recognize that it was Bradley Cooper because he looked so different and you know he really you would believe that it was it was Chris Kyle the person he was playing you'd believe that it was Chris walking on on set but it was Bradley Cooper. I didn't even realize it until after. I was like, "Wait a minute. That's Bradley Cooper." I was what is happening? I feel like I'm in like some sort of crazy dream right now.
0: Well, okay, so you said Bradley Bradley Cooper and then Clint Eastwood. Now we know that Clint Eastwood directed American Sniper. Was there anything in particular did you did you get to learn something from Clint Eastwood?
1: I I, I got to kind of learn how he, how he commands the, the room, if you will, without being, for lack of better words, a jerk about it. <laughs> he, he is not, he's not a, a loud person, you know. He's very just kind of direct with what he, what he sees. Also, I was young and he terrified me purely based off of the fact that he was Quinn Eastwood and his voice, how, you know, kind of low and gra- gravelly his voice is. I asked him something about my character. I was like, do you think I should do this? And he, he looks at me and he goes, just do whatever feels natural. And I was like, oh, okay. It was terrifying, but awesome at the same time. Uh, I learned a, I learned a lot. I feel like you just, everywhere you go, everywhere I go, I always try to to learn from everybody, whether it's the camera ops, set deck, wardrobe, uh, to the directors. And so I learned from everybody. I try to keep my ears open and my eyes just taking in as much information as I can. And so I think I definitely did learn learn quite a bit as far as uh, how to be a good director and how to kind of control the room uh, and take control, but not not have to be rude about it. You don't have to yell to get your point across.
0: Well, yeah, because to me, you know, and I and I've talked to others who have worked with Clint and everybody says just incredible uh, things about Clint Eastwood and the working relationship that they had, the things that they learned, uh, things that he took time to explain. And to me, you know, and you bring up the good point because directors really should be teachers on set and not tyrants and rulers and this is my movie and you're going to do it as I say kind of thing. Absolutely. <laughs> and
1: everybody, I think if you if you're in the business long enough, you experience those kinds of directors that think that's the way to that's the way to go about. And uh I don't know who to credit for saying this, but I I heard somebody say it one time. They said uh nobody works for a jerk whether you're the CEO of a company or the like a brand new waitress at a restaurant. Everybody's had their first day. And everybody, everybody then gathers knowledge and gathers experience as they go along and they work up. You, so you don't need to treat everybody, uh, like garbage or crap when you're, when you're on set, you know, you can, I think, I think kindness always, always ends up winning. Uh, and that's, that's something you never really hear. You don't hear about people that were, that were rude getting talked about 45 years down the line. You hear about the people who treated people with kindness and respect.
0: You know, it's it's funny that you say that because I think just last night, I have this um, I have this habit of literally sitting on Instagram and flipping through reels. I and, do too. I do too. And, and, and my wife, my wife, my wife is looking at me like, "Why do you sit over there?" And you're just like laughing all by yourself because there's just a lot of funny things, but there's also a lot of poignant things. There and it's funny because somebody had said, "You know, it's." It's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice.
1: That is, oh, I love that. I love that so much. It's so true.
0: It, well, it is. And and uh, there was a there was a gentleman that I that I was kind of watching this clip on, and he was a business guy, very very successful, and he he used to be a, a ball boy, um, like at uh, in the NBA, and so he said he had a very bad experience with Kareem Abdul Jabbar. But he had a fantastic experience with Dr. J. So I when heard the be-
1: same exact clip. I know exactly what you're talking about. And,
0: and when he got successful, who did he go to? He went to Dr. J. So he said, always invest in your future self, which means be nice now because it could pay off later on down the road.
1: You don't know who is going to be who in 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the line, you don't know if that, if you're an actor on set, you don't know if that PA that is there to make sure there's fresh water bottles in your dressing room, if they're going to be the president of Universal Studios in 20 years, you don't know. And some people might say, well, that's an awful way to look at it. You know, you're just looking at people for who they are, who they're going to be. No, just be a nice person. You don't have to be rude about it. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt you to just be nice. It hurts you when you're a jerk to people.
0: Well, it's kind of like, you know, I, I always have this deal and I tell people, when you go check in into a hotel, the moment you walk up to the desk, the the, the check-in, smile. Because if you walk yes. up there and smile first, you may end up with something extra in the next few minutes.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It doesn't, it doesn't take any extra energy to smile and just be nice. It does take extra energy to make yourself be just frustrated all the time. and I'm going to get what I want.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, let's okay, so now <clears throat> you've had a great, I mean, so, I mean, you're only 19. So, I mean, you're already 14 years in the business. So you've got a great film resume, but then you also have a great television resume resume and you were in the last man standing with tim allen what was it like working with tim allen
1: i always tell people what you see is what you get with tim he is exactly what you see on tv um you know he's he's the the loud comedian on set but he's also and i i I mean this he is one of the most genuine people i've ever worked with in the entire business he is the kind of person that could be cracking jokes on set, and then you walk into his uh, his RV that's next to the the studio, that that's like his dressing room. You can walk on there and just have the most heart-to-heart, serious conversation with him. And I just a very genuine, friendly person, never was angry with anybody. If he ever did get angry or swear on set, it was only ever at himself. He would never do it to anybody. He would never yell at anybody else. Uh, unless it was a director that was his friend and they would yell back and forth to make like a, a bit out of it. Never was angry with anybody. Always just the kindest person. Most professional just would would walk in in uh, uh, jeans, a black t-shirt and like Converse or something like that. That's what he wore like every day. It's like Jay Leno in his denim shirt and, and jeans. It was that same sort of thing. And I'm I'm just like, I'm looking at this guy and I'm like, you're one of the biggest names in this business and you would not tell if he just walked into a bar.
0: Are you amazed that in the last 14 years that you have not only met but worked with with these with these people?
1: Oh, absolutely. It's it it's bizarre to me. I I have fun actually a funny story about about Tim. My first day on set, we were running through rehearsals, and I'm not in this scene, but it's my first day on Last Man Standing, so I'm going to be watching. And and I hear Tim say something in, like, the Buzz Lightyear voice. He might have even said, to infinity and beyond. And that's my childhood. So I ran off set. I find my parents, and I'm like, he's Buzz Lightyear. And they look at me, and they're like, you didn't know that? And I was like, no, I did, but, like, it didn't hit me. So that was like one of those moments where it hit me and I was like, oh my goodness, I'm working with Buzz Lightyear. And Tim ended up, I think it was my first year on the show, uh, for like my birthday, he gave me a picture of Buzz Lightyear and Woody signed to me by Tim. And that's something that is irreplaceable. You You can't just buy that. And so there it's moments like that working with Betty White. That's one of those where I'm like, what in the world? This is a a legend. Another one of those people, what you see is what you get just genuinely funny, always. And the first person who really treated me like a professional in the industry, because I was so young when I worked with her, she didn't care. She treated me like I was one of the adult actors. And that meant the world to me as a seven-year-old, eight-year-old working with her
0: my good betty white wow what a legend and an icon i mean what what has been your greatest high being on set
1: you know that's a i've never had somebody ask me that and that's a great question Um uh, I, I i don't think i can pick you know like one specific moment because it's one of those things where you know i referred to always keep your ears and your eyes open always stay learning and so I never take anything for granted. Every moment that I get to do what I love every day, I'm thankful. God has a plan for everybody, and I'm just like, I can't believe that I get to do this. Um, so that, that's a little bit too tough to pick a specific one. I do always tell people when they ask like a, for advice on getting into acting or music, I say, be willing to fail and have those lows. Be willing to not get the job. Be willing to tank while you're on stage. Completely mess up your set list because it will make every high feel so much better. And so oh, you yeah, realize, I like can't that. pick one. Thank you.
0: Wow, now I know <clears throat> I know that you also do voice acting. Uh, yes, sir. You've done roles with uh, Nickelodeon's Shimmer and Shine. There's Bubble Guppies, uh, Amazon's uh, Stinky and Dirt, and even Disney's Special Agent. Oh, so Tots and then mm-hmm. Pickle and Peanut. How did you get into voice acting as well? Man, voice acting
1: uh, started once I st- started going to California. Uh, and I started doing voiceover work for Disney and Nickelodeon pretty pretty early on. Um, whether it would be like dolls that Disney would put in their stores. Like doing the, when you press the button on the doll like they do. They say something, whether it be that or whether it was on like Bubble Guppies or Shimmer and Shine, uh, Special Agent Oso. I think I played like three different characters on Special Agent Oso, something like that when I was like six or seven. Um, I love voiceover work. It's one of, I, I think it's one of the most underrated things in our industry because it's so much fun and it's a different form of being creative. It doesn't matter how you dress, how you look, if you walk in with a ball cap on, it doesn't matter. All that matters is that you can be creative. And if you can, if you can say the same words, the same line, five or six different ways, completely different so that they can have their complete pick. They can choose any way they want the character to say this line because you were able to give it to them in that way. It's just a different form of creativity. And I absolutely love it.
0: You know, the the great thing is, is you never have to go into makeup.
1: Exactly. You don't have to sit in that, in that chair. And I'm, I'm a, I'm a Southern boy, you know, and I'm sitting and I remember the, like the first time they were like, all right, we're going to put some powder on you. And like four or five year old me was like, what do you mean? You're going to put makeup on me now. I'm like, bring it on, make me look good, please. Yep. <laughs> but I remember the first couple of times I was like, what, why do they do this? And now I, I realize the importance of it.
0: You know, that is, I mean, from film to television, to voice acting i mean that's very impressive
1: it's a lot of fun i'm very fortunate i don't i don't take anything for granted you know all these all these years it's crazy to think that i've been doing it for so long and i'm i'm 18 and then you know in just a few months it'll be 15 years of, of being in this industry and i'm just so grateful so thankful and i
0: can't believe I get
1: I get to, oh, Well, I get to how are you
0: how are you managing the actor strike?
1: Um, you know, it it's it's interesting uh because the strike itself, you know, I feel like everybody kind of has mixed emotions about it. I I really do. Um, I think there's certain things that we should be negotiating for. I think there's certain things that we we shouldn't or we might be getting a little too greedy with um seeing as we are actors there are many worse jobs that i could be doing with my life so i'm very i'm very fortunate i don't take any of that for granted so i think there's certain things that as far as trying to negotiate or get more of is a little silly um i am fortunate that uh music has been a big part of my life and ever since COVID happened uh a lot of live action stuff stopped instantly you know in the beginning of 2020 so uh or early on in 2020 Uh, So it gave me a chance to really focus on music and writing a bunch and recording a lot, performing out a lot. So it hasn't really slowed much up for me. Uh, I'm fortunate enough that uh, Nickelodeon has a a separate contract with uh, SAG-AFTRA, which is for the people that don't know Screen Actors Guild, my union. Uh, They have a separate contract to where I can continue doing voiceover work for them. And it's not outside of the guidelines of the strike. Uh which is very fortunate because I love doing voiceover work. I love working with Nickelodeon uh so that's kind of that's kind of my my take on
0: it well i mean um to me, the two biggest sticking points is a i and mm-hmm. the streaming revenue Is that something to mm-hmm. be concerned about
1: uh I think the a i definitely i think like i said, I think there's certain things that should one hundred percent be getting negotiated for uh the a i is definitely a big thing uh i'm interested i don't i don't personally know enough about the streaming to where i would weigh in on the negotiation uh but i do i do trust i actually i know uh at least one of the people who is actively negotiating for our union uh she's an actress uh she's the president of our nashville local board and so i i know that she's doing a a great job i'm actually i'm currently running for the nashville local board of directors for our union uh, which would be a really amazing thing. I I really would hope to be able to be in there for a long time because I'm only 18, uh, and be, but I've been in the union for a long time. Uh, I'm a vested member in my union, so I really want to be able to help other actors and kind of get this strike over with as soon as possible so that we can continue working, because in my eyes, the strike isn't really helping anybody.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, we, we feel it on our end as well. There are people that... Uh you know, we can't interview or I can't interview uh based on the strike. But more importantly, you have a brand new single out, Falling Two. What's the song yes, about? Sir. Uh this
1: song is something that I think everybody will be able to relate to. Everybody has been a young person, a young teenager and uh fallen for someone, thinking that they're the they're the one and had that sort of uh summer love, if you will. So uh, this song is about being that young person. What I I try to tell everybody is all of the music that I write and release uh, is all either something myself or one of my co-writers on the song is going through or has gone through. That way we can relate to the song and make the song as personal as possible so the listener can relate to it. Uh, So this is something that all of my co-writers on the song, Kyle, Brian, and Pearson, and myself, we can all relate to it. And so we really just kind of wrote this from a a deep place in our heart. Uh, And we really, I I think that it's had a great uh, message and everybody has been able to receive it really well. And we have had people reach out saying how much they can relate to it, which means the world as a songwriter.
0: Well, the great thing is, is once you really understand the story behind the song, I think it helps, you know, the recording artist, someone like you or someone else, when they sing, you know, it's like what we say, wow, they really know how to sell that. And and that's a big portion out. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, when I released my very first album in 2019, I believe I was only a writer on one of those songs. I had only started writing for about a year or two. And after that, I, out loud, I told everyone around me, I set a goal. I said, I'm going to write all of my stuff from here on out because how can I, how can I tell these stories? How can I send this message out for people to believe if I don't believe it? If it's not my story, how can I how can I tell it? And so that's exactly what I did. My album I released last year, I wrote all 13 songs on there with my amazing friends and co-writers. Every single story on that album comes from myself or one of those co-writers. And so we can all relate to it. And that's exactly what I'm doing with this next one. It's exactly what I did with Falling 2 and then this, album that I'm currently working on.
0: Well, you know, Nashville is a large community of songwriters. How do you know which ones to work with?
1: You know, uh a big thing for me is there's a difference between songwriters, artists and songwriters that are also artists. Um so if I go to a writers round and I hear somebody that might not play guitar, but is a songwriter or might not really sing, but is a songwriter and they're in this writers round, I don't I don't listen to them and be like oh they were pitchy on that or oh they don't know how to play that chord. I listen to it. I'm there to if we're if we're if I'm trying to make a connection with you as a songwriter, I'm only going to care about the song. And so the I I love going to writers rounds. I love playing writers rounds. That's kind of the big way that I feel like I've met the majority of my co-writers. Um and then also once you make those connections uh setting up rights with them and then saying hey Bring whoever you in. I trust you. We've written songs together. Bring if you think we should have like a third or a fourth person in this right. Bring them in. Let's write. And that's kind of how you how you make new friends. Uh, but playing writers rounds is a big part of how I made a lot of my friends. You know, I, I get I'm fortunate enough I get to play the Bluebird Cafe for the third time tomorrow night. Uh, and then you know playing a bunch of different places around town. There's, I mean, you can you can throw a stone walking in any restaurant in Nashville and hit five songwriters. Uh, just like you can go to LA and throw a stone and hit five actors or drive down the street and you'll just see them all along the street picketing right now. So <laughs> you'll find actors everywhere there, just like you'll find musicians here.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, cause I've talked to so many people from Nashville and they love that community of songwriters. You know, if you don't know, you know, if you, you know, maybe you know how to sing maybe you know how to play an instrument, but you have no clue on writing a song the community is there to start Absolutely. learning and listening and just absorbing what that's all about. Um, that's what a great was way it way like for that. the first time for you uh, being in a songwriter group?
1: Exactly what you just said. Uh, being the person that was 13, only having written with like my best friend Olivia McKenna uh, over FaceTime, you know, first time you walk into that room, it's overwhelming, and nerve wracking. And I don't I'm not the kind of person that really gets nervous very often, because it's what I've done my whole life. But you know, walking into the first room where you're writing with people who are writers professionally and have number one hits. That's like that's stressful. And uh, they they could what you they could not have been more welcoming. They could not have welcomed in a kid any better than they did with me. And I try I try to remember that and I don't want people to think like oh he's only 18 but he's saying something like this but now I try to do that with people as well if there's somebody who's just getting into songwriting or somebody that I meet and they ask to set up a write absolutely I will always set up a write with you because it goes back to what we talked about at the start of this be nice to everybody you don't know who that person's going to be and you also don't know what they're going through. They might need to write a song to get something off their chest. I've done it. We've all done it. And you saying, "No, sorry, I don't. I don't accept new people. I only trust my group." Why? <laughs> expand your expand your circle. Keep growing. I I always say the worst thing anybody can do is say this is the way I've always done it. Why? Stay fluid. Stay learning. Stay changing. Uh, challenging yourself because that's the only way you can grow. That's the only way your songs can grow, and that's the only way that you will continue to retain your listeners is by growing because they're continuing to grow and get older with you.
0: Yeah, that's right. And especially when, I mean, as an example, look how old Taylor Swift was. And she had to go through some growing pains knowing that her fan base was getting older. Exactly.
1: That is a prime example of somebody that we have literally seen Become huge at what, fifteen or sixteen and continue to retain the biggest fan base in the world, arguably, right now. Throughout how old is she? Is she thirty something now? I wanna say. Yeah, and I think so she I think
0: she's th- yeah, I think she's 30, thirty, something like that. Yeah. I
1: know all the Swifties, if she's not thirty, you're gonna like hate me for saying she's thirty. <laughs> I'm sorry, please don't hate me.
0: Uh, uh, Twenty nine <laughs> and holding, we'll keep it that way.
1: Yeah, 29 and holding, there you go, there you go. But that's a great example of how she has changed genres um, and also a great example of her, she's said, you can't please everybody. You can't change genres to make everybody happy. Stay true to you uh, and stay, stay writing what you know because people are smart and even if they're not musicians or in music and they just listen to listen, they can tell if you have no idea what you're singing about. They can tell if you have no idea what you're writing about. Which is why I write about various different things. But as an artist, at 18, I'm not gonna put a song out about being in a bar drinking and partying with somebody because they're gonna be like, "This kid's 18. What?" <laughs> I'm and you, the, I'm know who, and you know who? And you know who did that? that?
0: Do you know who did that? Leanne Rhymes did that when she came out with a song in which Trisha Yearwood ended up recording as well. And people were looking at Leanne going, "How you're a little bit too young to be singing songs like that. So I think that the context of the song has to kind of match the age of the person because you, know, you can't have a 17-year-old going around singing about uh, sleeping around and hanging out in bars so it doesn't make any sense. so
1: true you know i you mentioned my song fast forward earlier uh when we were coming up with that song idea uh i when i was writing it with bridget and jesse uh i was 15 i just got my permit and so they were like we can write a song about like you being in a car and stuff now and i'm like that's true we can and it made sense because I'm now at the age where that is believable. The music video, I was driving the truck and I was like, "Oh, my, you think at 13 years old I didn't want to be like driving a truck in my music video." Of course, but I had to wait till I was actually old enough to legally be driving a vehicle. Uh so it's 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 a lot of things like that. That's a great example. Uh people people are smart, listeners are smart and I think that they can they can smell bullcrap from a mile away. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You know, it's like you have to respect your fan base. And I've talked Absolutely. to artists who, you know, they, they still highly believe in doing the meet and greets because it's that personal interaction with a fan that the fan will always remember and you'll always retain that fan because 100%. of it. hundred
1: I, percent. I mean, I think a lot of artists forget they are the reason that you do what you do. They are literally keeping the lights on at your house. Be grateful. There are a lot, like I mentioned earlier, there are a lot of worse jobs that we could be doing.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there are
1: people that do those jobs too. And we take all of them for granted. We don't think about the person that has to sit out in the 106 Tennessee heat and pour new asphalt for our roads and fix our potholes. We don't think about those people until we're driving over the pothole and we're like, why does somebody not fix this? It's like, well, you get out there and fix it. You don't want to. You're you're a musician. Be grateful.
0: That's right. Be be grateful. And if you have a fan base, you got give to them, give them what they want. Give them something new. But never alienate your fan base because they Absolutely. made you.
1: Thank you. That is a great way to put that. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I was the only one for so long that ever thought of this. But thank well, you. <laughs> it's,
0: it's the old saying, don't bite the hand that feeds you. And that's what the fan base is. But I also want to ask you, Jip, because uh, are we going to see a, a full album from you soon uh, with this single, Falling 2, on it?
1: Yes, sir. Uh, falling 2 is just simply the first story of many that I am very eager to share with people. I have I about a handful of songs that are already done. Uh, I'm gonna probably release maybe two more before the album comes out. And then I have a handful more I wanna go in and record. And one thing that I, uh, I always do, I leave room for two songs on my album that are typically last minute ads, because I might write a song the week before we go into the studio. And it's like this, this song is 100% one that I need to record. And if I have my album filled up, then it's like, ah, we don't need, I don't want a 17 song album, unless I'm going all the way like Morgan Wallen did with like 36 songs. So uh, a prime example of that uh, on my album I put out last year, the 13th, the 12th and 13th song on that album were written like days before we went into the studio. The 13th song literally was written just a couple of days before we went into the studio and we're recording and so it was a last minute ad so i'll always do that and my last album was called phase one discover this next one is going to be phase two and uh i don't know what it's going to be called yet next to phase two because there's stories that are waiting to get told on it and that are waiting to happen in in real time to me so we'll we'll see what it, right now it is phase two unknown <laughs>
0: <laughs> now I, I now i can't wait for the whole album to come out so when it comes out you got to come back and uh real quickly it. tell us about your support for the ryan seacrest foundation why is that important yes,
1: to sir. you The i started working with uh, rsf a long long time ago uh years and years ago which is crazy to think about now um essentially what they do is they take donations uh and they build radio stations inside children's hospitals across the country and so there's one here in nashville at manderbilt they're out in orange county and denver all over the country uh i'm fortunate enough to be one of a very small group of us that have been including virtual visits to all of their studios uh which is very very cool i did a fundraiser for them a few years ago and it's they what they do is they have anybody from taylor swift to ed sheeran to local sports stars to me come in and you know we'll play games with the kids we'll we'll perform for the kids they broadcast to the rooms of the kids that can't come down because of their condition or whatever they're in there for and it is one of the most heartbreaking and and heartwarming things at the same time because you're watching their day get changed in real time you're watching the smiles get put on their faces even even if it's just for three and a half minutes for a single song helping them forget about whatever it is that they're going through. It's it's the best feeling in the world and it's the it's all it's it's also so hard to go into those those hospitals and do because another again be grateful because we take for granted a lot of things and those families that are in there getting to talk with the parents and the siblings, they're going through it just along with their child and their sibling. And and a lot of times it's harder on them. I know that my parents first time we ever went in there, they got back in the car, and started crying. They were like, yeah. "I can't imagine just wanting to take that pain from my kid, but I can't." Uh, so that it, it's, I highly recommend looking into the Ryan Seacrest Foundation. Meredith Seacrest, Ryan's sister, runs the entire foundation. She is an absolute sweetheart. Uh, she's just the people that they have working in those studios are truly special because to have that energy full time. It's so hard when you're surrounded by all of that sadness, yeah. but they do not show it, and they are the the best people in the world, the best organization that I have found myself being able to work with.
0: Well, Jet, I gotta say something for you being so young, you are seasoned, you are wise, and I am very impressed by you.
1: Thank you so much that that means a lot. Thank you.
0: And. And, of course, uh, we wait for the, the well, not only the writer's strike, but the actor's strike to end, and hopefully it'll end soon, yes, so everybody can get back hopefully. to work and making TV shows, making movies. And, uh, yes, ladies sir. and gentlemen, you better keep your eye on Jet Juergensmeyer. So head over to JetJuergensmeyer.com for more about his acting, his music, and more. Check out the brand-new song, Falling Two. And what do I always say when we talk about uh, you know musicians and recording artists? Buy the music. You buy it, Thank don't you. download it for free. You support the craft, you you support the art, you support the industry because we, we you know music makes the world go around and music makes memories, and we gotta do our own part. So stop downloading for free. And even when Jet's singles out, I don't care if you need to go to iTunes and pay the dollar twenty nine. Pay the dollar twenty nine. And uh when the album comes out, we're we're looking forward to it, Jet. And uh hey, you know, right off the top of my head I can think of uh Steve Miller's Jet Airliner, uh Paul McCartney's there Jets, uh Elta John, Benny and the Jets. I think you got a couple of songs there you could probably cover. <laughs>
1: I I do, and I have a lot of people that are like hounding me to learn them. I'm like, all right, I'm working on it, guys. I'm working on it. There's a lot.
0: The the, the Jed Meyer Jet album.
1: There you go. You know that is a great idea. I like it. Are you gonna charge me if I take that idea?
0: No, you can have it. You just have to come back for another interview.
1: I will do it. I'll do it when the album's out. We'll have to come back and talk about it all.
0: Hey, that that'll be that will be great. And ladies and gentlemen, again. If you know what IMDb is, go on there and you can look at about how much work Jet has done in 14 short years. So be prepared. He is going to have a long, healthy, blessed television, film, and music career. Keep your eye out for Jet and Again, go to JetJurgensmeyer.com. Hey, Jet, man, thank you so much for coming by today.
1: Thank you for having me. I, I can't wait to do it again. God bless you.
0: And God bless you too. And as for me, ladies and gentlemen, I'll see you next time.